So, welcome. <laughs> In this week's interlude, I wanted to amplify and highlight survivors and why their stories are important, not only to be told, but heard. So, of course, I reached out to someone who I came across with an amazing podcast whose whole show is dedicated to that. And I want to welcome the Pinnacle of Black Excellence, a podcaster, former educator, nonprofit founder, certified victim advocate, psychometrist too, and a lifelong survivor, Danny. Now, with all those titles, are you also like an Avenger? Because... Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I might as well go ahead and put that on my, on my resume as well. So... <laughs> Oh my gosh, you just made me feel like I got butterflies just saying all that about myself. <laughs> you deserve all the flowers. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that so, so much. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I appreciate you reaching out whenever I get the opportunity to tell, you know, a survivor story. That's like where my heart is. So I'm always willing to jump right at the opportunity. It's amazing. And uh, so can you start off by telling the listeners about your show? Absolutely. So my survivor voice is a platform for it initially started out as a platform for women of color to share their stories because I had survived so much. Um, and the actual background behind why I started my survivor voice was my niece who had been going through domestic violence situation that we didn't know about until after she was murdered. And so, um, it was just like, why do we feel like we have to suffer in silence all the time? Women of color, we go through cancer, we go through postpartum depression, domestic violence, all these traumatic experiences. And we keep it to ourselves. We don't even tell the people who are closest to us. And like that question just kept playing in my head. Why, why, why? Well, it's because we've been taught to be these strong surviving super women. And I realized that as I got started sharing my niece's story, so many other people were coming out of situations from hearing her story. Like there's so much healing in sharing your survivor story. So that is why I started my survivor voice. But it has now turned into a platform for people, male, female, transgender, whatever, to share their stories of survival because everybody needs that needs to hear all of these stories because there is so much healing and so much triumph after the survival especially within our community because like you said like black women are perceived to be like strong and just able to have it all together and not be able to embrace the things that they go through and i feel like you know as a black man we have to facilitate listening you know, being there and not just like talking over, but like actually absorbing the information. And it it could be tragic, honestly, sometimes, especially all of these stories. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we do. Um, Once a month, I have a survivor guest come on and just share their story in whatever format they want to share it. Some people come on and share, you know, their life after survival. Here's what I went through, but look at how great it is now. And some people who are still healing come on and they share their struggle during the survival. And that's also needed to be heard. So I just let people share their authentic selves. That's great. I want to get into that. But first, I'd like to start off by asking, so where have you taught? Okay, so I taught special education. Um, Once again, survivors (laughs) on another realm. But I taught in the public school system. I That's what I went to school for. Like that was my background, my wheelhouse. I knew I wanted to teach from the time I was in the third grade. So um, when I got to college, I knew I wanted to teach, wasn't sure what. And um, I met a young lady, well, an older lady, but just 
an amazing person. Her name was Yolanda Gracie. She was a special education director for the state of Alabama. And she taught one of my courses and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to teach special education. So I fell into special education and um, started teaching in the public school after graduation. I'll be honest, I loved teaching. You talk about resilience, teaching children with special needs. Oh my goodness. Like those kids taught me so much about taking the hand that you're dealt with and making something out of it. So, um, I can relate. My brother, yeah. uh, he has autism and, uh, I actually, I'm a certified special needs trainer and I will help train his volleyball team. Those kids are amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Spirit. I have a nephew who has autism as well. And my son has specific language disabilities. So yeah. The spirit and energy is just like, that exudes from them. It's just like, and it humbles you and warms you because you're like, damn, if they can be happy, what do I got to complain about? Listen, like, seriously, they teach you so much without even trying. So, um, yeah, that's that's my background in teaching. And in 2015, I started teaching at a public school here in Mississippi. And I hate to admit this, but it's my truth. I kind of let them push me to a point of no return. And I quit in the middle of the year. Um, and it wasn't the students. Everybody's like, oh, I know those kids are bad. No, it wasn't my babies. It wasn't the kids. It was the administration. It was the back and forth with downtown, not knowing how to handle things, not supporting their teachers, not, you know, giving us the resources because it was a Title I school. And for those who don't know, Title I schools are schools that don't get all the funding that some of the other schools get. You know, they don't. A lot of people look at, look at them as the underprivileged schools. I'll put it that way. And just the administration, they they really gave off the air that they didn't care. And I just was like, I'm one teacher. I can only do so much. And I, I felt defeated and I left. So, and I haven't been back, been back in the classroom since, even though everybody encourages me to go back. <laughs> I mean, public school, it's, it's, it's rough. Like, they don't get the money and funding that they need to. And teachers really don't get like, the appreciation that they deserve. Very true. Very true. So you also have a nonprofit. Now, what is it and what made you start it? Okay. So um, my nonprofit actually stems out of the same pain that my podcast stemmed out of, the murder of my niece. So I'll be honest with y'all, nonprofit work never even crossed my mind ever in life. But after my niece was murdered, I started volunteering. Like I you know, you go through something and you're in so much pain and you try to fill that void, like find out what can I do to help other people not go through this. And so I was like, I'm just going to volunteer. So I started volunteering at a couple of local DV shelters here in Mississippi. And I started encountering survivors of domestic abuse who there was this break in or gap in services. Like, OK, you encourage them to leave. And they leave and they leave in the, like a thief in the night because they don't want their abuser to know they're leaving. And so they've done what you tell them to do. They leave with nothing. And then you tell them the only thing I can offer you is a couple meals and some shelter. They have no ID. They have no job. They have no form of transportation. They have nothing. Oh, and I thought that like that was they were assisting with that. No. So that's and that is the huge misconception. So what they're really doing is they get you there. They give you shelter, of course. They feed you and then they give you counseling, which is, of course, needed. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of all of that, what are these people? What skills are these people getting to survive? What resources are they getting to survive? You give them a list of resources and say, hey, call these people and see if they can help. 
that's not okay for a person in crisis. So it started to like irritate me because I one my breaking point was I encountered a young lady who she actually had a job. She kept her job when she left. She had a job. She was staying at the shelter, but she had no money because she was also being financially abused in addition to being physically abused. So in the midst of trying to get her money right where her paycheck wasn't going to the joint account she had with her abuser, she, you know, had nothing. And so she just needed $20 to put in her tank to get gas, to get back and forth to work. And nobody could provide that. Oh, every place she called on that resource list kept telling her, oh, we don't provide that. We we don't provide gas. We don't do that. We don't do that. And then she was trying to get her kids in school. She didn't have birth certificates. Oh, we don't do that. That's not a service we provide. So I'm like, okay, so what is she supposed to do? And she literally broke down to me and said, I'm this close to going back because it's easier. It's easier to just let him hit on me than it is to deal with this. And I was like, oh, no, not no, ma'am. I took money out of my pocket. We got her kids birth certificates and we got her some gas money and she fell apart crying on my shoulder. And the fact and I didn't spend a hundred dollars. Literally, and this is out of my pocket. I'm no big corporation. I'm no big nonprofit that's getting millions of dollars of donations every year, you know? And I'm just like, if less than $100 can change a person's life and possibly save their life, something's got to give. So that's where the idea for R3 came about. It initially started, I literally just wanted to provide gas vouchers and ID replacement. It has turned the simple things, like yeah, the simple things that they can't get anywhere else, and it has turned into something so much bigger. I could have never imagined the number of people that we've been able to help, and I just I I yearn for the day when I'm able to share my clients. But right now we're new, and so all of our clients are newly out of domestic violence situations, and putting them out there just isn't the safest thing for them. But I want people to be able to see what we've done. It, it is heartwarming. It's mind boggling that the simplest things can literally save a person's life. So when I tell people like literally $15 to get a, a new ID can help a person beyond that you would never think. But those are things that people don't think about. When you think about donating to nonprofits, you think about donating clothes donating food. Well, those things are covered. I promise y'all nonprofits got that in the bag. Yeah, It's those small things that people literally do not have and no other organization is willing to offer that my nonprofit is aiming to provide. I mean, you found a really important like gap <laughs> and I'm glad it's you. I, I wasn't even aware of that. I, yeah, like, I just assumed that, yeah, no, they're going to take care of just like getting them from A to B. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. So you're also a certified victim advocate, which is an amazing thing. So what made you pursue that certification? My nonprofit. Look, everything ties together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, working in this field, I started R3 in 2020. And so I, I just got my victim advocacy um, certification last year, 2021. But in 2020, I was working with these people. And of course, I was working out of a place of compassion because that's where my heart was because of what happened to my niece. And so... Um, while I can go to bat for them and get my emotions involved and fight for these people, I realized that I wasn't really advocating for them the way I should because my heart was so deep into it. And so I had to figure out a way, like, how can I learn to 
effectively advocate for these people. Like I can get on the phone and go off on Susie because she didn't help my client, but how am I going to effectively advocate so that I get the results that I'm looking for? And that's what drove me into getting the advocacy um, certification. And it was a six month process. I stayed up, I think I even put up a reel um, during that time. Like I stayed up a million nights, like on my laptop, doing schoolwork after work and um, just trying to make it happen. But I am so glad I did it because I learned so much about you know, processes that I wasn't navigating correctly. My heart was in the right place, but it, it wasn't working out for the betterment of my clients. So getting that advocacy certification has been amazing. And then not only that, having it in this world, I have now become like in, enthralled, like infatuated with, ad, not advocacy, but um, philanthropy. And so I've also started doing sexual assault advocacy at the hospital. And I've been able to use that certification for that role as well. So now what that, with that former education, has that recontextualized what you went through with that traumatic experience with your niece? Like, do you look back and see the, the, yeah, the signs? Absolutely. 100% yes. Getting that formal education I look back and it's it's kind of a catch-22 because I'm so happy to be able to look back and realize like, oh my gosh, that's what we missed. Ooh, yeah, that was a sign. But I'm also, it also is disappointing because I become disappointed in myself. Like, how could I not have known? How did I not see that? But again, catch-22, it also helps me educate other people so that they can see the signs when their loved ones are going through and they don't have to feel what my family felt. So I've, I'm learning this new thing where I'm trusting God and I'm believing that everything that, you know, it's cliche. Everything that happens, happens for a reason or, you know, God, the devil meant it for bad and God meant it for our good, all of that. I'm, I'm getting to a point where I do believe that. Like th what happened to us in 2019 shattered our world and I mean, devastated us beyond repair. I had never been on anxiety and depression medication prior to. After my niece's death, I was. But there's something beautiful that was born out of it because I now feel like this sense of fulfillment when I'm able to help someone who comes to me and says, I think my sister is being abused, but she won't talk about it. I don't know how to get it break into her. I'm able to provide them with some some tips and tricks on how to be there and support their sister as they survive that process. So I wasn't able to save my niece, but I'm able to help other people save the people they love. And yeah, turning a negative into such an amazing positive is awe-inspiring, honestly. Because not a lot of people have the strength and resilience to do that. Absolutely. So now when it comes to your show, what's the most harrowing story to date? Like, what's the story that really just got you? Um, the story that really got me. You know what? I'm going to have to say it's it's a survivor story, but not in the context that most people would think. So I had a gentleman on. His name was Scott Miller. He was a former abuser. And the reason that story is probably my most memorable and most harrowing story for me is because I got to see things from the abuser's side. Um, he fully acknowledged his role in the abusive relationship that he was in, but he also gave me insight into what he dealt with prior to that relationship as a kid 
leading up to what made him become the person that he used to be. And um, in addition to that, one of the things that brought tears to my eyes during that episode, and actually I think Scott was like my third or fourth episode, like last year. But one of the things that he said to me that will forever stick with me was he said that he wanted to apologize to me for what happened to my niece because he has been the man on the other side of that gun. And of course, gave me chills all over. Tears started to flow, of course. But as he began to explain it, um, it made me realize like how many other men have been that man on the other side of that gun, but just didn't pull the trigger. How many people have I encountered on a daily who have been that person and I had no clue? How many times have I done some of the things that he shared um, during his interview was that like as a kid, the reason, one of the reasons he decided to become, um, not decided, but he ended up becoming abusive or having those abusive tendencies was he felt like he had to be this man that took control and had it all because as a kid his mom used to browbeat him and always you know like on him like you're doing this wrong and another thing and this this that and I thought to myself how many times have I been that parent you know as a parent I'm thinking I'm teaching my child what's right I'm doing what's best for him but Am I pushing him into a corner where he feels like once he gets out from under my wing, he has to be that for his get that power back? Yeah, exactly. So that I would say that is probably the one that got me the most that episode. And it's the, I think it's the story of a former abuser, but it's Scott Miller. Was I think it was episode three, right? I, I think I was, so. I think it was episode three. Yes. Yeah, me and my girlfriend. We, we've been listening. We've been binging your podcast. Oh wow! Thank y'all. Thank y'all. So now. What is a good episode for listeners to just like feel inspired? Like a real feel good episode. Oh, it's a couple. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I've had some like really tell it like it is type people. So um one was just the first part of this um season. Um it is I had the cast of Soul Sisters reality show on. Okay. And they just talked about so basically what Soul Sisters reality show is is it was a group of women who got together um, with a life coach and decided to go do a three day retreat, and it was recorded. And the healing and the positivity and the sisterhood that came out of that three day weekend is unbelievable so that's a really good feel good episode and then the one that just came out um with zaya smith um it's called um uh start smiling or i think it's start smiling but it is a story of a survival story of a young man from southern um united states southern baptist home who came out to his parents when he was older and, but he came out officially when he was older. Oh, it's called, I came out smiling, I'm sorry. But yeah, so he came out when he was older. However, he, his parents actually found out through some material on his computer when Ooh. he was younger, like 12, right, yeah, like 12. <laughs> and when I tell you Zaya is like a breath of fresh air, he is funny, he's witty, he has taken his, his story and just, like, hey, I am who I am. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And he makes you feel good about yourself. Like, be you. 
And I I love him and I love that episode as well. That's a really good feel-good episode. It's so many. And then Shala, she survived childhood abuse. And the beginning of her story is like drama-filled and she tells her story, but at the end, she tells you how amazing things are now and she pours into people. So she's another good episode to listen to as well. I'm, I'm gonna definitely check out the coming out when I see the promos on Instagram, I was like, he looks fun. Zaya is amazing. He is awesome. So now your podcast specifically focuses on voices of black and brown survivors. So now why do you think it's essential to capture our stories? Because nobody else does. Simple. Nobody else does. We tell a lot of the times, even other platforms who center black and brown voices, those voices are the voices of success and oh I'm on top and I'm making this amount of money and I'm doing this very rarely are there any platforms that center the grit of black and brown voices and we deserve to be heard just like everybody else you have other podcasts and other not just podcasts even tv shows that center the the grit of other nationalities and and their you know bottom to top we got to start showing our bottom the top and that encourages us and other black and brown people who look like us to do the same thing. We can go from the bottom to top too. Yeah. And then just talk about it the whole way. Cause I'm, exactly. I'm, tired, of, I'm tired of the one trope you see in like media where it's like, like, like on Hulu, like black stories, but all the stories are like exactly cookie cutter the same. Yes. <laughs> it's like, they went from the hood to the suburbs. It's like, not all of us stood on. It's like we all did. Yes, every black man is not a cheater. Every, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely that. So now, uh, for the general public, when it comes to approaching and facilitating these conversations about trauma and these really sensitive topics with the people in our lives, what's an easier way to do that? Like, how do we start those conversations? The first word of advice I would give them is to make sure you're an active listener. And when I say active listener, that does not mean talking while that person is talking. Not, I share my trauma with you, then you want to share your trauma with me? Mm -mm. I share my trauma with you. You hear me, you listen to me, you say, so what I heard you say was, how does that make you feel? Um, Active listening is key when you're starting these conversations because if you come back at me with what you went through or your opinion or whatever the case may be, nine times out of 10, I'm not sharing anything else because that's not what I wanted to hear. Um, In addition to that, if that person is not yet ready to share, be okay with that. Understand that, but still let that person know you are there. It doesn't have to be, hey, I'm here to listen if you want me. Hey, you wanna go grab coffee? Hey, even if they don't want to get out, can I drop something to eat at your door? Being that support lets people, it gives people the knowledge that they can trust you. They understand that, okay, this person cares enough about me to feed me. They care enough about me to know if I'm okay. Maybe I can share a little bit. And when they share that little bit, don't fly off the handle. Don't fly off the handle. If I share that, oh, he locked me out the house today. Don't, oh, girl, we got to call the police. So we get, mm-mm, mm-mm. Like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Do you need anything? What can I do for you? What do you want to do about that? Because you have to remember, people in traumatic situations are not always ready to do something about it. 
they have to build up to that point. And as a supporter of a survivor, your job is to do exactly that. Support them every step of the way in whatever decision they make. Now, there's also a, a back end to that. If it's getting to the point where they're being, you know, threatened with a gun or a weapon, or if they are being physically harmed to the point of where they're being injured to go to the hospital, nine times out of 10, the hospital is going to make a report anyway. But that is when you start encouraging for them to make a report. You can't, you do not go make the report yourself because they will shut you off. If they're not ready, they'll cut you off. But you definitely encourage them, hey, let's get you to a safe space. Here are some resources. Or if you don't know any resources, look up R3. We're in Mississippi, but we've got other states that we've connected with that we I'm a member of Sisters in Purple, which is a New York-based organization, but we have members across the nation who all have nonprofits dealing with domestic violence. We'll get you somewhere with somebody who can help, but definitely provide that support and be that listening ear and let them know that even if I can't physically help you, I can put you in a position or in contact with somebody who can get you on the right track to be helped. A lot of that falls around just like being a good friend, it seems too, just like really the basics. Yeah, seriously. And it is. And that's, and I, I'm so glad that you said that it falls around being a good friend because that is where a disconnect happens. I think we as a people have forgotten what friendship is, to be honest. And truly supporting a survivor is literally being a good friend. Be there, be a good friend, be be the friend that you would want people to be for you. It's literally that simple. But a lot of the times, I don't know if it's social media has kind of distorted things or whatever the case may be. But a lot of the times we forget how to be a good friend. So uh, what are their future goals for your, not only your podcast, but R3? Um, so for R3, um, we just started our crisis transportation program where we provide crisis transportation or individuals fleeing domestic violence. So sometimes we'll encounter survivors who have come here from other states or you know, to be with a partner who ends up abusing them and they just need to get home to their family so they can be safe. We're providing transportation for them to get home. Um, next steps for our three. Also, um, my heart, I hate putting things out. Well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I'm going to put it out in the atmosphere. So my goal is to open a um, non-traditional transitional home for people suffering abuse. And what I mean by non-traditional is most, not most, every transitional home I have ever encountered has been a roommate type situation. Like you've got bedrooms that are private, but the living room is shared, the kitchen shared, the bathroom is shared. And um, through my research and through encountering survivors, I've learned that survivors don't want that when they're going through trauma. And that's why a lot of the times they won't go to a transitional home or a shelter because they want to be, they feel like I'm already in a traumatic situation. I'm struggling. I don't know these people. I don't know how they'll be around my children. I don't know any of this. So they, they will refuse to go. I've had survivors say, I'll sleep in my car before I go to a traditional transitional home, which is not safe, of course. So what my dream for our transitional home is we want to buy an apartment complex um, and I say complex, but like a building with several units um, and convert each unit into a transitional home 
private transitional home for each person with an office that is staffed to be able to give them their privacy. They have their own bathroom, own kitchen, but they still have the support of the staff there. And so like, I've got big dreams for that. I want it definitely locked down like Fort Knox and all of that, <laughs> but <laughs> that is our next, that's our goal. And so we're working on getting that um, prepared. We do have an event coming up called the Reveal to Hill event. It's a fundraiser event, but I've got an amazing speaker, Sinead Goss, who is one of my podcast guests. She's a domestic violence um, survivor. She'll be speaking. Oh, it's May 21st. Yes. And we've got a life coach coming. She's going to pour into people. And we're just going to have a good time, try to raise some money so we can get this um, this transitional home moving. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as the podcast, a lot of people have been on me about this. But I honestly think that this is my last, quote unquote, official season. Um, just because I'm pouring so much into R3 now. That's why, I mean, um, my Survivor Voice is only a monthly show because you got your hands I have, full. you know, my time is always eating up. You got to save the world. Right, exactly. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to. So, uh, but my plan is to still keep it up, but it will be sporadic. It won't be like every month, the fifth of the month, here's a show. It won't be any more seasons. It'll just be sporadic episodes here and there just to continue to amplify people's voices. So where can people find you, like R3 and your podcast, obviously? Okay, so R3 is on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at R3 Inc. It's the official name is Our 3 Memorial Foundation Incorporated, O-U-R, the number three, Memorial Foundation. Um, our website is www.our3.org. And um, the podcast is at my survivor voice on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, check out the podcast because really it is a fun time and a tearjerker at moments. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to thank you for coming on and talking to me and helping spread awareness and good actual information about how to be an ally to survivors. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you for sharing your listeners with me. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for your latest weather forecast. She's something
She's a- 